Hi, I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Benchmark Income Group. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. Today, we have special guest Harlan Akala with us. Harlan has done over a thousand reverse mortgages in the past 20 years, and he is the author of a book called Reverse Mortgages and Home Equity, The Cinderella of the Baby Boomer Retirement. Harlan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, well, I actually am especially excited about this because we had the opportunity to um, speak at the same conference earlier this year, and I felt like the uh, the session that you did was by far one of the most entertaining sessions of the entire conference, um, yes. and I think that's saying something <laughs> because you don't really think about reverse mortgages as being uh, funny or uh some people might say that doesn't even seem interesting. So uh, I am I am very excited to have you on board to share the wealth of knowledge you have about this particular topic with our audience. So let's just jump right in if you're if you're ready. All set. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So let's start with what is a reverse mortgage. Yeah, you know that's that's what's really weird. There's all kinds of people that don't like them, and. Uh, uh, then when you ask them what it is, they, they don't really know. And so it's just like, they've heard that it was bad. Uh, mm-hmm. A reverse mortgage is really simple. It's, the, it's kind of like a 401k, a life insurance policy, uh, an annuity, uh, social security. You put money into it from the time you're 20 to 60 years old. And when you get older, you take the money back out. It's just kind of a normal thing that everybody is used to doing with right. invest in any kind of investment. Well, the house is the biggest investment for most people, but until 1988, during Reagan's term, is the first time that people were allowed to take money out of their house without selling it or having a mortgage that you had to pay back during your lifetime. So all that it is, all a reverse mortgage does is in, in England, they call them equity release programs. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I like is, that way better. It's yeah, better it, just allows, it allows you to release the equity that has been locked up inside your house that's sitting in your living room that you can talk about. You can be very prideful about that. I've got my house paid off and it's worth $600,000 and I've got $600,000 worth of equity. But what good does it do? Well, it just releases the equity and it turns it into cash. So a regular mortgage, uh, everybody knows what that is. You take cash during a, a lot of cash. Uh, during your lifetime, and you put it into um, uh, your house, and it turns into equity, which is not usable. It looks like money, but it's it's not real. And so when mm. you get older, like me, at 62, you we wave a magic wand, like in the fairy tales, and we turn that equity back into cash, and now we can use it. So it's really that simple, which if people walked into your office and said, hey, Mary, Eric, I gave you guys a bunch of money while I was working and while I was saving, I'd like some of it back because I'm retired now. And if you told them, no, you can't have any of it back, that's for your kids. Just keep putting money in. And when you die, we'll give it to your kids. You would probably not have 1,500 clients because (laughs) people don't like that. (laughs) Right. No. They just want their money back. But when people walk, people very rarely walk into our office and ask for their money back. And when we offer it back and say, we can give you a reverse mortgage and give you about half your money back that you put into your house. They say, no, I don't want to do that. That's I've heard that was bad. And so it's really nothing more than a a return of the money that you've put into your house over the years. We give you back about half of what the value of your house is. And you don't have to pay it back until a year after you're dead or when you turn 150, whichever comes first, 
and it's guaranteed by the Federal <laughs> Housing Administration. I think mm-hmm. that's really a good deal. That's why I did it when I turned 62 in April of this year. Yeah, but I think you you made a you made a really important point is the emotional of it is I paid my house off. I, I worked all of these years, 30 years, whatever the number was, and I'm done. And I've, I look at the deed. I've got the deed to my house. I'm, I am full, free, and clear from the bank. I'm ready to go. Why would I? It just seems counterintuitive emotionally. Well, emotionally, it is more than counterintuitive. It is cultural. Uh, right. Yeah, it that's it. It's something we were taught by our parents. I covered this in book that when I was eight years old, I went to a mortgage burning party, eight years old. And I mm. was uh, kind of thinking, ah, this is kind of interesting. And I, I asked my dad when we were on the way home, what was everybody cheering about when they burned that piece of paper? You know, what was the deal? You yeah, know, what was the young point? people don't know what a mortgage burning party is, but it was like, this is weird. And dad said, well, uh, it, it's bad to have a mortgage. And the quicker you can get rid of it, the better. Um, and the, the bottom line is, is, is if we don't pay our mortgage off, you may not be able to sleep in your bedroom tonight. That Whoa. will scare the hell out of an eight-year-old kid. Well, and, and how important well, is that from that age going forward? You just, man, that's, it turns into gospel. That's what we do, right? Exactly. Most baby boomers went through the same thing I did. Uh, and we saw mortgage burning parties and we were raised by depression era parents. Many yeah. of our grandparents lost their homes or farms like my grandpa because of the depression. And then that is something that, well, the best thing you can do is pay off your house. That's the safest thing is to have your house paid off, which was true in the thirties, forties, and fifties. But just like what you were talking about, Mary, uh, which is very interesting in your bio, you talk about the way that your parents and grandparents did their savings. It's not the same as what it is now. Right. And that's a big deal that people need to make that shift. Well, I think it's, it is very interesting what you're talking about right now, because this is something that I think in the world of planning, uh, Eric and I, uh, face on a regular basis, which is the preconceived notions about how things are supposed to work. And a lot of times those preconceived notions, the things that were handed down from generation to generation, either, um, aren't based in facts or they aren't as relevant as they used to be because there are new strategies that are evolving that can actually create more benefits than if you did things maybe the way the past generation did. And I I think when you start looking at other aspects culturally, um, we see things like technology that are evolving rapidly and people expect that evolution in that space. And so they're constantly learning new things and they're constantly incorporating new aspects of technology to their lives. But in the money space, for some reason, we don't do that. And I don't right. know if it's because it seems scarier or it seems like, oh, well, this is an unknown. And so I don't want to be the test case for this. But I I think this sort of um, mentality of I'm just going to do what my parents taught me has a lot more to do with emotion and fear than it does to do with facts and empowerment. And honestly, that's a big part of the reason that Eric and I do this show is that we want to be able to see the facts because a consensus of opinion and a fact are two very, very different things. But I think a lot of times in American society, we conflate the two. And so really spending some time understanding, okay, what does this actually do is important and and questioning our own perception 
and and really pushing ourselves into the space where we say, okay, well, show me, show me what it can do. So rather than relying on opinion, actually doing the experiment and figuring out where does this fit? Because it's a tool, right? Money is a tool, just like any other tool. And so sometimes you need a hammer, sometimes you need a screwdriver, but (laughs) not all tools are the same and they are meant to do different things. So what is this meant to do? Who is the reverse mortgage actually for? Well, you know, there was a lady that came up to me and I had a speaking event in Atlanta a couple of uh, weeks ago and uh, she came up to me and she said, just so you know, I'm going to skip your presentation uh, to do my emails because I understand oh. that what you teach people, yeah, it hurt my feelings a little bit. Sure, uh, really. Uh, Thanks for but, telling but it me. Up, <laughs> yeah, it ended up okay. She said, because I've been told that you think about 90% of people should do reverse mortgages and I just don't believe in that. She was a financial advisor. Hmm. I said, ma'am, this is not a religion. This is not something you have to have faith to believe. <laughs> exactly. This it's not Sasquatch. Math. It's not Bigfoot. <laughs> yes. And so I said, if you take a look at the math and the people that have done the research in your industry, and I, I pulled up uh, this little uh, uh, picture right here. And I said, uh, you know, here's, here's the deal. Everybody has three buckets of wealth who is a homeowner. And bucket one is the client's bucket. That's their ability to make money. Bucket two is the bucket that you work in as a financial advisor of 401k stocks, bonds, life insurance, annuities, whatever uh, people, the money that they don't need today that they're putting away for the future. Bucket three is your home equity. And so everybody has a certain amount of money in each of these buckets. And and, uh, when you make a lot of money during your lifetime, um, most people even making $30,000 a year make a million dollars, it goes up to this top rectangle. And most of that money evaporates right off the top and they spend it on food and clothes and kids and cars, whatever. It's something called the cost of living. But you try to give uh, give to a financial advisor maybe 5%. Uh, of your we, we like that number to be bigger, Harlan, just, just okay. for the record. <laughs> well, it should be. You'll notice that I uh, on my slide, I've got 5 to 20%. People right. should put away as much as they possibly can. But the bad thing is, is the average savings rate in the U.S. is less than 5%. Right. Which uh, is it should crazy. be 20 plus. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I've always went according to the 20% because I want more money available for retirement when I need it. But here's the problem. People are putting 29% of their income into bucket three, 29%. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mary, you you and Eric should do what we do. We threaten that if people don't give us 29% of their income, we kick them out of their house. Uh-huh. Um, so that might work for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Financial planning um, so at the, the point of a gun. Is that is that the new motto? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. It's, well, it's I, a, I do think this is actually a really interesting point. And I'm going to go on a tangent here for just a second is that um, we don't have any problem making a commitment of 30% of our income for a 30 year period, but asking somebody to commit to ongoing savings, even if you're asking for a small fraction of what they're actually putting into a mortgage payment, people have commitment phobia to that all day long in a way that you don't see them experience when they're committing to a mortgage. And that just says a lot about emotional priorities again, right? Leaning on that emotional piece, as opposed to actually being fact-based and fact-oriented. That is so true, Mary, uh, because we have people all the time that, oh, okay, the payment is only $2,000 a month. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, arguably, of course, we it's not just an investment. We allow people to sleep indoors when they give us $2,000 a month. So <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah. uh, that, 
that's that's a, a nice running water scenario running water you know uh uh, uh just just a, a a place with a, a furnace and all that sort of thing so <laughs> the issue is is that uh people put an incredible amount of their income into bucket three and really think nothing of it and then complain about how much money you guys ask for but right. it reverses literally when they get down to this bottom rectangle the post-retirement income yeah. Yes. And now they say, Mary, Eric, we're going to go to Europe and we're going to do this and we're going to join the country club and we want $5,000 a month. But they never gave you that much back when they were in their 30s and 40s. And they expect yeah. you to work some sort of magic, which sometimes you do and you have to. Right. But what, what we do with clients is we don't do financial advising except in areas of bucket three. We partner with people like you um, uh, that are experienced in knowing what's going on with bucket three. The vast majority of financial advisors are not as wise as the two of you, and they don't even look at bucket three. They would never interview me. They would never go talk to Michael Inkman in, in Dallas and say, hey, uh, Michael, how, how would we work together and how can you help this client? And for so those we of do, you who are just listening and can't actually see it, just a reminder, bucket three is home equity. That's your right. real estate equity. Uh, thank you for that. I, uh, uh, I, I need to uh, realize that some folks are listening and not looking at the pictures. It's just three big bucks. So when you get to the bottom rectangle, you get to your uh, post-retirement wallet, people easily go to bucket one and they talk about social security and when are going to draw it. 50% of people buy, uh, draw social security at 62 and 63. Many of them should not. We don't get into that planning. You post do that. Right. But uh, they obviously, they put money into social security, they're going to pull it out. Then they walk into your office and say, hey, I gave you a bunch of money. I want to get money back out. And you kind of make a plan. Well, you, this is how much you have. This is how much is safe to take out. Right. But what they should be doing is 44% of your clients, of all of you that are listening, 44% of people that get to be 62 still are sending money to bucket three. You're still making a mortgage payment. 56% of you have your house paid off because you put a whole bunch of money into it right. when you were working. Sometimes now, more than the mortgage company is even asking for. Yeah. Sure. they'll. Pay. I just talked to somebody yesterday that is making triple payments in their 50s. Wow. On their 50 well, They're trying to be done, year. right? Yeah. And it's a 15-year 2% mortgage. And they're making triple payments. It's like, this doesn't make any math sense at all. Why would you do this when you right. don't have to? Right. And you are pulling money out of bucket two, out of your investments to put more money into bucket three, which you can do absolutely nothing with. And I'm going to- It gonna feels hurt some good, your... but the math doesn't work in your favor. And Not we actually close. spend a fair amount of time talking about that because there are times where you may be willing to give up like long-term efficiency on your dollars for the sake of something feeling good, but right. understanding the math and the mindset is, is key here. And I think that this is, if you're going to make a decision like that, I think most people do that. They make that decision on default as opposed to doing that by design, right? right. They just say, well, I don't like debt. It feels bad. I'm going to get rid of it without understanding the consequences of that decision. And so I, I think what's really key here is understanding the choices so that you're making an informed choice when you do make a decision. That is right. so true. Uh, there are so many people that end up 
because they were out wandering around rather than actually planning on going there. We would never do that when we were going to get, a, get in a car and drive somewhere for vacation. We have a GPS and we're going to go to a certain place. Why would we not do that in our financial life? Uh, and right. as you know, most people don't. But uh, the people that are listening to the, your podcast are probably far more likely to make a plan. So let's think about that for a minute is most people do not understand that no matter what point of their life, the more money that people put into bucket three, their house, the right. less money they have to put into bucket two, their financial future. And that is amazing that it is so simple. I'm just a farm kid from Wisconsin who never went to college that happened to hang around <laughs> a lot of people smarter than myself that figured out, hey, if I give more money to my financial advisor in bucket two, instead of sending the money to my home equity in bucket three, I will be better off and my kids will be better off and I'll have a better retirement. Right. I learned about this, Mary and Eric, when I was in my 40s which was 19 years ago at 43, when I went to a seminar and understood that life insurance, annuities, and some of the products that you folks uh, sell and make available to your clients are way better than paying off your house. And so I did not pay off my house. And by design, I put right. less money in my house so I could put more money into my investments and more money into life insurance, which is my real legacy to my kids. Mm -hmm. Now, mm. that is an important point. And let's talk about that for a minute. The reason people don't want to do a reverse mortgage is because they think they're going to lose the equity for themselves and lose the home for their kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, now, if I've heard that once, I've heard that a hundred times, right? I, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. Say, most of the time, the kids don't want the house. <laughs> exactly. So but I said, outside. perfectly happy to take a cash check from an insurance company. Right. <laughs> exactly. There's no question about it. So let's talk about that because I read a book a long time ago called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which mm -hmm. most yep. people know about. One, one of the habits is begin with the end in mind. Yes. So we say that I, a lot. I, Yes. And so I sat outside a, a Safeway grocery store, or no, it was a Publix grocery store in Florida when I was on vacation once with a little clipboard. And I said, I'm doing a survey. And I asked everybody that came out that had gray hair like me or no hair and, and said, hey, um, what are you going to do with your house when you die? And invariably, 90% plus of the people said, I'm going to give it to my kids. And most of them added free and clear, which right. is really strange that it's almost like we were taught that in kindergarten. I mean, this wasn't something that half the people said. So what I took a look at when I was in my 40s is, well, just a minute. First of all, I want more money to be able to save now. I want to buy more life insurance. I want to uh, cash value life insurance. So I've got it to protect my wife and my family. I want to have annuities because I want to have income coming in the future. I want to put some money into mutual funds. But if I pay off my house, I won't be able to put as much money into those investments. Right. So I sat down with my financial advisor and I said, what if I do a 30-year mortgage and pay the minimum mortgage instead of a 15-year mortgage and pay extra? And we did all of the numbers on the software and the math. And we realized that I'd be way ahead when I got to be 62, which is exactly what had happened. My net worth yeah. was way up. I didn't have my house paid off. But I didn't have to because I did a reverse mortgage, which took my payment to zero in April of this year when I turned 62. Wow. So if people yeah. understood that they instead put more money there, and now for the rest of my life, 
I don't have to make a payment. My wife doesn't have to make a payment unless we want to for tax purposes or we don't just want to park some money somewhere. We can make an optional payment if we wish. But here's the most important thing, begin with the end in mind. It's better for Brenda and I, for my wife and I, we're better off. But our four sons and our five grandkids are better off because they are going to get a bigger inheritance they're not going to get a bunch of equity in our house. There will be equity left because we're not using all the equity in our house. But they're going to get, as you said, Mary, an insurance check tax-free within 30 days after we die, regardless of what's going on with the market, regardless of what the house is worth. And that's what we have to replace in our minds is our kids don't want the house. They're going to sell it. And besides that, I have four sons. Which one's going to move in? None of them like green county. And so they're not going to move into our house, but they will take the check. And so because of that, it is much easier to divide money into bucket two instead of bucket three. So if we really look at the situation of what we want to do for ourselves in retirement and for our kids, then we will not pay off our house. It's that simple. And it's really weird and very counterintuitive, as you said, Eric, but it is, well, it is right. And it's, but, it, and it's, and it's the phrase that I've used so many times. And once you, once they hear it and understand it, they, they can't ever forget it, but it, it helps is remember, you can't eat the brick. Like, and once they understand that part of it, that they, the brick tastes horrible. It doesn't trade for anything that you actually want. Then all the rest of the the decisions on the other end of that become, Oh yeah, I, I eat income. Like I can take money to the grocery store. I can't take bricks from my house and take it to the grocery store. And once I get that, all of the rest of the conversations become a lot easier. And you even have to, you even start avoiding the, you know, my mortgage is 3% or whatever it is. uh, If you were lucky enough to have a 3% mortgage Um, and, and inflation is eight or nine at this point. And so, you know, all the money's going backwards and blah, blah, blah. You don't even have to get into the technical bits of it. I can't eat the brick. And then everything else flows in the other end of it. And so for the people that this is for, I'm, you know, I'm 40 or mid 40s, 46. This isn't for me, right? I'm I'm not old enough. The the actuarial math doesn't work out. So if I'm if you're thinking about a reverse mortgage, what's what's kind of the beginning age that you can start thinking about that? It's 62. Uh, there are some proprietary products in some states that go down to 55, but for the vast majority of your listeners, it's 62. Um, and 90% of the people over 62, as proven by research from universities, think tanks, Texas Tech University, Boston College for Retirement Research, uh, Dr. Wade Fow, et cetera, et cetera, uh, uh, we can give you multiple studies that prove that most people would be better off doing a reverse mortgage as soon as they turn 62, either to eliminate a mortgage payment or to get cash out from the mortgage. That is something that is overwhelming research. It's not even in question. Um, And that doesn't mean that 90% of people need a reverse mortgage. I don't need a reverse mortgage. I'm still working. I could afford to make a mortgage payment. But why would I when I can give my financial advisor more money in bucket two? Because your bucket is more valuable, more liquid, has a better chance of going up. My house is going to go up and down whether or I have a mortgage or not. That has nothing to do with the value of the house. And so uh, most people, Eric, will be in a better position if they do it at 62. However, I would add something, even though you're just a young guy, 
um, the fact is, is my son just turned 31 and he bought a house and he said, dad, we, we read your book and Bridget and I know that when we put payments into our house, the minimum amount that you told us to put in, right. we are actually starting on our reverse mortgage. 30 and 40 and 50 year olds need to realize that if they pay the minimum amount in and buy a house as soon as possible and put more money into their investments instead of putting it into their house, they will be better off in retirement. And that's an important thing to know at any age. Yeah, for sure. So, so I think this is kind of interesting what you're talking about right here, because I think there is definitely a perception reverse mortgages are only to be used as a last ditch effort to create income for people who have not planned accordingly, mm -hmm. right? There's a, there's sort of a, a reputation in our industry that that is when you use a tool like this. And I can say that especially, so I actually started my career in the mortgage industry and, um, not in the reverse side of things, just in a traditional mortgage. And I think I think there is some misunderstanding because you can do a cash out loan in a regular way, a home equity loan in a regular way, and you still have payments. In a reverse mortgage, you're tapping into the equity, but you do not have payments. And I think that's one of the big differences that right. um, people may or may not realize. <laughs> but why is it that the financial planning industry as a whole seems to think that reverse mortgages are only for people who haven't done well. And, and you mentioned an article um, when we were talking earlier that that kind of focused on that. Yeah, the, the, the financial planners, I, I was talking to a financial planner at the Ed Slot IRA program uh, that we spoke at um, about um, a, a couple, three weeks ago. And an advisor came up to me and I said, um, I, I think you can help one of my clients before I had spoke about what we're talking about now. And right. I said, well, how many clients do you have? And he said, 500. And I said, how many of them are over 62? And he said, about 400. I said, well, we can help a lot more than one. He said, oh no, my <laughs> clients all have money. So they won't need you. And I said, well, if they all have money, why would they need you? And he said, well, because I help them get more money and I help them uh, increase their wealth. That's and I said, brilliant. so do we. <laughs> we do the same thing. So it's right. not about, uh, it, it's about how you use your wealth. It's not how much you have. And that's right. why people right. need a financial advisor. So there is a, if, if I told people, hey, you've got plenty of money in uh, in uh, real estate and rental real estate, and you've got an Airbnb, you don't need financial advisors. You don't need any insurance or investments or annuities. You don't need any of that stuff because you're fine with the real estate that I put together for you. If I said something like that, everybody would immediately have little, you know, sirens going off and say, no, that's I not right. I had a you reaction just now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you would say that guy's irresponsible to think that they can do their whole retirement with real estate. No, it's technically true that if I bought enough investment real estate, I could do it all without ever having anything else in, with a financial professional. Right. But the truth is, is that that's not the smartest way to put all your eggs right. in one basket. And so uh, traditionally, when the program started out in the, in the 80s, uh, our industry did a crappy job of selling it to people that were broke, because that's the easiest person to sell it to. If you're 87 and you're a right. widow and you're broke, it's pretty easy that you got to get money out of your house. It's a loan of last resort. And so mm -hmm. when we kept selling it, mm -hmm. it was like Lincoln's. Only old people buy Lincoln's. 
only broke widows <laughs> did a reverse mortgage. And it got branded as the loan of last resort. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal 15, 20 years ago, the loan of last resort on front page. And so that's what was programmed to. And so I even had someone, when I posted on Facebook that I got my reverse mortgage back in April, a high school friend called me and said, Harlan, are, are you having a tough time financially? I thought you were doing well. And I said, no, I didn't do this because I'm broke. I did it because it's I'm saving a whole bunch of money in taxes and I have more investments and more things I can help my kids with. So it got branded as a product right. that's designed for people that are broke. Is it a good idea if you're 87 years old and a broke widow uh, and you need food to get a reverse mortgage? Sure, we'll help that 87-year-old widow, but we'd rather help the 62-year-old couple so that the 87-year-old right. widow never goes broke. That We want to go mm -hmm. upstream and properly use the money in bucket three that's in the investment in advance. That's right. really the issue. But there's two other things. My book is about the Cinderella of the baby boomer retirement. Cinderella was not invited to the ball. Uh, reverse mortgages are not invited to the retirement <laughs> ball. It's kind of got a chip on metaphor. my shoulder with that. Uh, yeah. We would like to be invited to the ball because we've got $11 trillion. There's a lot of money sitting in people's homes because we forced them to put it there as we talked yeah. about earlier. And so if that is properly used, it's in a great position. Now, the problem was two problems. First of all, there was a bunch of people that got reverse mortgages who did not pay their taxes and insurance. And if you don't pay your taxes and insurance, you get kicked out of the house. And yeah, it's not- That happens no matter what. I mean- yeah. yeah, it happens. You don't pay, if pay you your don't taxes, you can't stay in the house. <laughs> but guess yeah, well, who that got was paid like, off? That was always the but fallacy yes, is I own my own home. I'm like, yeah, no, you don't. Stop paying taxes on that house and, and see how long you own it. Yes, you'll find out. The only thing sure is death and taxes. So um, uh, so because of that, we got the blame for it, that those people all got closed on. So we uh, about 10 years ago, the rules changed. And we said, no, you have to qualify to prove that you can afford to pay taxes and insurance or we're not going to give you a loan. But that still left a whole bunch of people with a bad taste in their mouth. But here's the worst mm -hmm. thing. We allowed older husbands or older spouses, but usually it was older husbands, to take younger wives under 62 off from title and do a reverse mortgage by themselves. Uh, that was oh. just something that was possible to do in the past. Well, you got to protect people from themselves. So a whole bunch of dumb older men went and got reverse mortgages, took their wives off from title, they died, and their wife get kicks out of the house because they don't have any plan to make the mortgage payments and to refinance into a regular mortgage when he dies at 80 and she's still uh, uh, not on the mortgage. And so- So, so can, we, can we real quick, can we address that? Because I think this may be an area for some of our listeners that um, need some explanation. So what, what happens when someone is on the reverse mortgage and the deed and they pass away is there's a specific period of time where the loan has to be paid off? Is that correct? Yes, there's there's a, there's a year. There are some milestones that you have to go so through. So if the if the remaining year. spouse is not on the deed and is not on the mortgage, that comes due while the spouse is still alive and probably still living in the house. Yes, that, 
So here, okay. this poor underage wife, underage meaning under 62, uh, this poor underage wife, uh, I have an underage wife, she's six, 59. Uh, so, uh, you know, people really raise their eyebrows when I say, I have an underage wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that means something different than what you're intending. <laughs> yeah. Underage and, and for so, what is usually the follow-on Don't get question. us canceled, Harlan. <laughs> I do not want to be canceled because of this. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so the issue is, is when that young wife, when the husband passed, passes away, that young wife is all of a sudden grieving her husband and she's alone trying to make decisions. And now she's getting notices that she's got to leave the house. That is a horrible thing. And it gave us a tremendously horrible reputation. And so we had to protect those, those poor wives from their dumb husbands. Um, and so what we did is we made a new rule. FHA made a new rule and said, Hey, if you got an underage wife, she has to be entitled and she has to be in the mortgage. And if you don't have her come along for the ride, we won't do a mortgage for you. And so that changed everything. So for example, right. my wife at 59 came to the closing with me. She's part of the plan. And if I die, she can live in the house till she's 150 because she was part of the original mortgage. And that, that has solved uh, literally thousands of problems. So right. no longer can a spouse get kicked out of the house if um, uh, she is under the age of 62. And so, so is there a is joint there. age on that side of it that, you know, I think a lot of times annuities and some of the things have what they would call a joint age. So the husband's 62 and the wife is, is 58, then the joint age is 60. So what is there? A, is there a bridge too far where the, the gap is too big? No, uh, it's just that we change the percentage of money they can get. So uh, a young wife can be more expensive in more ways than one, because if you have a really young wife, you get a lot less money. Um, and so uh, that just changes that the equation. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yes. So, so the issue is, is this, um, my wife is 59. So it goes according to the age of the youngest borrower, whereas you average it, we take the youngest borrower. Now okay. we're here in Texas. Texas is the only state in the union that says, nope, we want both people to be 62 because they saw what happened in the past. Right. And so they made a statewide rule that in Texas, you both have to be two. They should change that because um, we now protect them federally. And so eventually Texas will change the rules. But in all other right. states, you can have a young wife or a young husband and still do the reverse mortgage. In Texas, both have to be 62. Okay. I think one of the things that's really important here is understanding that um, maybe initially some of the thoughts, right? This is for people who are already destitute. It's a last resort. Um, and there are places where you can be irreparably harmed potentially, right? That those things have been addressed at this point, right. that there are regulatory changes that have occurred that now protect the consumer in a very different way than how they were initially set up. And I think that's really a key here because like anything else, um, the, the tools in the financial industry evolve and the regulation around the industry evolves yeah. as well in an attempt to protect the consumer. And so I think understanding that there have been regulatory changes that have dramatically changed what you can and cannot do is really, really important in, in terms of how we use this. And I want to be conscious of time here um, because I think we've covered some of the reasons why people don't like them. Some of it yeah. is that maybe they feel there's a stigma that only poor people do this. <laughs> Um, and then secondly, they've heard, oh, well, so-and-so, their 
life was ruined because of how it was done before the regulatory changes. And so those things have been addressed at this point. What I do think is really interesting and what we haven't talked about is that there are multiple ways that you can actually do a reverse mortgage. One is if you're in the home currently, but there's also something called a reverse purchase, which I think most people are unaware of. And I think this is absolutely fascinating. And I would love to spend some time talking about this and really understanding things like, is it possible if I owned my home, um, can I do a reverse mortgage on my primary and then use a reverse purchase to buy a second home? Are these things that are even possible? Can you talk to that a little bit? Well, I I actually did that because uh, I live in Minnesota and um, uh, it's kind of cold there in the winter. And so as soon as we got the reverse mortgage, we used part of the money to get a second home in Florida because it happens to be a little bit warmer there. Uh, So a lot of people do that. Um, Now you can't do a reverse mortgage on a a second home, but you can you can pull money out of your primary residence to buy a second home or use it as a down payment. Um, Or simply now you can afford another mortgage payment because you're still working and you want to have a second home, but you don't want two mortgage payments. So you eliminate one and now you have a mortgage payment on the And you just redirect the money. Exactly. Um, Now, uh, there's there's three people listening on on this podcast. The first group, well, there's really four. There's the people under 62. But I hope uh, there's more than four people listening. Uh, No, no, I'm saying four. We have sucked at our job if that's the mission. Four four types of people. There's four groups of people. Um, There's thousands (laughs) that are listening, but we're going to put that down into four groups. Um, the first group uh, are under 62, and they should use this as part of their planning to put less money into bucket three and give you more money in bucket right. two. I'm not saying that because I'm trying to, uh, you know, look good in in uh, in talking to the hosts of the podcast. But it's foolish to put so much money into bucket three. We'll prove it to you. Uh, you know, just look at the numbers. Look at the math. Right. So that 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 group of people under 62 should know that they're going to be able to do a reverse mortgage when they turn 62. That so they should plan accordingly. Now, group one are the people that are living in the house and have their house paid off. They can pull income out of bucket. Uh, out of their house bucket instead of pulling money from their investments and they'll end up in a better position. The other group are people that are making a mortgage payment. So just just stop. I I was snoring uh, a number of years ago and my wife elbowed me really hard and I woke up and I said, over 62, 50% equity, still making a mortgage payment. And she said, you are sick. All you think about is reverse mortgages. Well, that's top of mind for me. If you're over 62 and you have 50% equity, just stop making the mortgage payment because you're better off putting that money into bucket two, even if you can afford that. The third group of people are the ones that you just mentioned, Mary. They're the people that are in the wrong house. There is a bunch yeah. of us people over 62 that are in the wrong house. I mean, yep. my goodness, Ivana Trump or whatever fell down the stairs and died. What was she doing in an apartment in New York with stairs? I mean, us old people, and I'm jokingly calling me an old person because I think only people that are older than me are old, but people in their 60s <laughs> should move now so they're not in a house that is dangerous or and a house that's not suited for them when they're in right. their 70s and 80s. The house that we moved into is all on one floor. It is des- I got wide doors if we ever need wheelchairs or anything else. It, it is a house that's designed for retirement and is close to our kids and more importantly, our grandkids. And so we made that move to a more expensive house because we wanted to be by our kids and our grandkids. And we wanted a house that was designed for retirement. We're in a house where we raised our kids. Um, and it had six bedrooms, four bathrooms, and um, five acres uh, of lawn. 
uh, it was ridiculous for people right. that were in, uh, in our stage of life. So we sold that house and moved into another house. Sometimes that house is more expensive. And then people raid their investments to pay cash for a house. Mm -hmm. And then they screw up their retirement because they took cash out so they could brag to their friends that, well, we paid cash for that house. And it's like, you don't have to pay cash for the house. You bring in about 40 to 60%, depending upon your age and the rest of the money we come in with. So let's say you want to buy a $600,000 house and you have to bring in uh, 350,000. We come in with the other 250,000 based on age. We'll give you the calculations and then you don't have to make a payment. You just bought a $600,000 house for three fifty, dollars and you never right. have to make a payment for the rest of your life. And you actually set up a tax deduction, which we don't have a lot of time. I spent an hour on the three ways to save money on taxes with a reverse mortgage for people that are wealthier. Um, but that is a situation that is so cool to move into the house that you want to be in, a house that uh, is absolutely um, designed for the long term and a house right. that is not going to be a burden on you. And so there are so many people that should move that are not moving because they think they can. So a reverse for purchase, um, uh, Heckam for purchase, as we call it, H for P, is one of the <laughs> biggest planning tools that people should use because it, it, it people get into the house that they want to be in rather than the house that they uh, just have to settle for uh, right. in that situation. And it helps out their uh, if they're downsizing and they buy a cheaper house, then they can put more money into their investments so that they have a better retirement and a better legacy for their kids. Right. That's something that is part of planning. And when you're not putting planning, you're rare amongst advisors. And a whole lot more people should be listening to you because the vast majority of advisors would not even spend five minutes talking to me about how this fits in with financial planning. This affects when you draw Social Security. It affects what kind of life insurance you buy. It affects what you're going to do for your retirement income. It affects your taxes. It affects all of your planning. And way too many people are not nearly as smart and as perceptive as uh, as Eric and Mary. And that's why the people are listening to you keep coming back because you're providing value that the vast majority of advisors don't even think about. All right. Now, after that beautiful, beautiful compliment that you just paid us, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question you might not like. Are you ready? This is my, I'm ready. This is my last question. Okay. Who does this not work for? Is there a no. time where this really doesn't work? Maybe it's not cost-effective. Where where does this not work? No, I like that question because it's it's kind of an obvious question when I said 90% of people should do this. That means 10% of people should not should do not, it. Should not, yeah. Uh, so you're 100% right. The, the first scenario is how long are they going to be in the house? It doesn't have to be their forever house. Well, nobody's in a house forever. Eventually you die and you have to move out. But the, the fact <laughs> is, is that you're in the house for less than three years, you should not do a reverse mortgage because there's upfront costs and closing costs that it doesn't make sense to do. In fact, you probably shouldn't even do a forward mortgage if you're going to only be in it for three years. Yeah, just Um, rent and be done. Exactly. Rent until you know where you're going to end up or, you know, what's going to happen with the rest of your uh, retirement plans. The other types of people are people that are wasters, gamblers, people that uh, it's a good mm-hmm. idea that money is locked up in their house because if they uh, have it, they'll spend it. The spendthrift. And exactly. So if you have a spendthrift uh, parent uh, that's just going to blow all the money and they're going to take it to the gambling casino or whatever, uh, they should not be encouraged to do a reverse mortgage because we're going to create liquidity. And all of a sudden, they're going to take that money and blow it. 
Now, right. obviously, as a financial advisor, you don't have that many people because they blew all their money, don't have any money to manage. But uh, for those of you that I don't have- know, I, I'm going to be real honest with you, Harlan. I think sometimes people hire us because they have really high incomes and they know if they don't have an automatic draft pulling money out of their account, getting it. them doing it, that they will find something to spend it on. You know, it's a, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's something we say all the time, but I think most of financial success is figuring out how to manipulate yourself into good habits, right? right? Like I, I can tell you, I am definitely one of those people. If there is money in my account, I can always find something to spend it on. So I get that money out of my account as quick as I can. So that temptation isn't even there. And so I, I would say it's probably a mix for us, people who are naturally just very disciplined and putting stuff away. And then people who recognize, hey, I need you to keep me accountable and make sure that money goes right. somewhere, right? And it's it's their money either way. And so it's it's a matter of just helping them meet their stated goals. But I think you are absolutely correct that if you know you're the type of person who's going to blow cash, if it's sitting in your account, you have to have a plan if you are doing something like this. Exactly correct. And if it's part of a plan, we can also set up a scenario where people just get so much a month, they don't have access to all of it. They just get a check for 1200 bucks a month for the rest yeah. of their life that they live in the house. And so there are ways to, to deal with that. But those <laughs> are generally the two groups. If we see gambling winnings or losses on, uh, on, a, on a tax return, we are real cautious and we spend some time talking with the advisor wow. as to That's how a good idea. handle this. Um, and so, because obviously some, uh, we usually get the tax returns and the qualification process. But uh, really, the biggest thing that people have to realize, uh, chapter six book is drug, sex, and reverse mortgages. And <laughs> um, they, you know, what, what do those three things have in common? Well, they can be good or they can be evil. Right. And so uh, obviously, drugs can kill you or they can save your life. Sex, we know it can be good or evil. Uh, and uh, reverse mortgages, I sometimes get a bad name for the bad things that happen. What about the good things it can do? And that people forget that and just say, oh, reverse mortgages are bad. Well, you can't say drugs are bad because drugs can save our lives. And right. so uh, really that's the scenario. And I encourage all of your listeners to contact you folks and say, hey, show me how this fits. We do that every day. We do case studies every day for clients across the country and say, here's what would happen if you did a reverse mortgage. And then we put that into the software and figure it out from there. And, and if some of your listeners, we're not in the business of selling books, we are in the business of helping people with mortgages. I, I'd be happy to make books available to your, um, any of your listeners that would like to just have a, a, a free analysis at the same time. Yeah, and the primer, uh, right? Yes, just to kind of get an idea and, and and run some of those things. It's it's large print and it's only 90 pages. It only takes three hours to read. So be happy to furnish that to your listeners. Uh, to help I need the large print. That's You sold me at large print. You're not old enough. Eric, you're not even close to old enough to have a large print book. So Harlan, if, if our audience is looking for more information, the, the book is an option. Um, should they be reaching out directly to you? Should they be reaching out to somebody local or should they be reaching out to us and we're connecting them? What's what best way for them to get more information? Well, really, um, uh, either they can reach out to you or they can uh, reach out to um, uh, uh, the, the best thing is if they reach out to me directly, then I can, I don't personally do loans. Um, uh, like for example, here in Dallas, Michael Inkman is the, the person that does it. And so, um, you know, that's, that's my contact information and simply say, Hey, I, 
I'd like more information, or they can, of course, reach out to you as well, whatever you prefer. Um, but uh, those are the details of, of the information of, of what we give to uh, the folks and just give them a book so that they can get an idea. They'd be welcome to uh, reach out and we can take care of it from there. The, the big thing so, is, is- So if you are just listening, um, just to let you know, the contact information is being posted visually. So just go to the YouTube okay. channel for the Big Wealth Podcast and you will be able to find the contact information right. to reach out directly if you have questions for Harlan. Uh, thank you, Mary, for reminding that. I, I forgot that there's a few people that are listening that are not watching. So uh, it's just Harlan A at fairwaymc.com and uh, or reverse events at fairwaymc.com. Uh, either of those will work. But uh, I, I just want to uh, to make very clear, you are fortunate that you're listening to this and working with Mary and Eric because I travel and work with advisors. I wasn't just giving them some empty praise. I've worked with thousands of advisors over the last 19 years. And the number of advisors that look at things from a holistic standpoint and take all of these different ideas and don't just go according to the past information from 10, 15, 20 years ago are very rare. You are fortunate to be in contact with Eric and Mary because there are very few people that look at it that way. And if your financial advisor is not looking at the whole picture and just saying, hey, you can get this rate of return, you need to switch advisors. I want to be very clear on that. It's it's a scary we, world out there. And we didn't even pay on. him for that. So. <laughs> Yay. All right, Eric, if they're looking for you, where can they find you? So Economics with Eric, wherever you use social media. What about and you, And if Mary? you're trying to find me, you can find me at The Wealth Woman, or you can go to wealthwoman.com or benchmarkincome.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks.